0: Lord, I thank you. I thank you for raising up men and women who love you, who love the gospel, and who love the nations, and who've been willing to step out of their comfortable life and to go into hard places to share Christ with those who desperately need Him. God, thank you for raising these men and women up who have left behind the American dream, who have left behind their vision of what their life could be, have left behind dreams and aspirations and have been willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. God, we're so thankful for you raising them up. And right now, we want to pray for them. We want to pray that you would meet them this season with your comfort, with your love. Lord, that as as they are there pouring out themselves for the sake of the gospel, that you would enliven them again with, with the gospel. That they would know your grace, that they would know your love, that they would experience your mercy for them, that they would be filled up to abundance in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we also pray for the nations. We pray for those who have not yet heard the name of Jesus. Lord, by your power, we ask that you would save, by your mighty hand, that you would reach down into hearts, into nations, and you would shine the light of Jesus. Lord, that you would awaken hearts to see the beauty of Jesus, to see that there is no other good news in this world other than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God, we ask that you would work in a supernatural way. And God, this morning, I pray as we hold these envelopes, we just ask that you would show us what our part is in this. Lord, this is your mission. This is your plan. This is your vision for the world. And we want to be open, Lord. We want to have open hearts, open hands to wherever you're leading. If that means giving our money, if that means praying, Lord, maybe if that means even going. God, we want to be open. And so over the next few days, as we pray and as we think and as we consider, what it looks like for us to invest in your vision, in your kingdom, in your desire for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Lord, give us willing hearts. Give us open hands and show us, reveal to us how it is that we can join you in partnering with you uh, in your plan for the world. God, thank you again for these missionaries. We pray that they would know your blessing, that your face would shine upon them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to the book of 1 John, and if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some Bibles in the back, Uh, please feel free to go grab one and uh, avail yourself of a uh, Bible there. 1 John, and we're going to be reading the entire chapter of uh, the third chapter this morning. 1 John chapter 3. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Uh, I have no no doubt that this time of year, uh, people are especially susceptible to scams and con artists. Um, You know, if you look up what are some different kinds of scams that are out there, one of the most common ones is actually the charity scam. See, what happens is uh, there are are people who are uh, kind of vicious and they're thieves and they prey on good-hearted people like yourselves who maybe want to give to a cause or some disaster relief. But the only problem is uh, they've set up a, a, a false charity. And so you give the money, it goes to them, and instead of them then passing it on to that good cause that you think you're giving to, uh, instead those, those people take that money and they use it for them, themselves instead. Now we think of something like this, and, and we're just uh, aghast that someone would actually do this, right? That someone would actually take money that was designed to go help other people, they would steal it, and then they would use it for themselves, Right? We look at that and we' are just uh, we're, we're, I hopefully we're terrified that, that there would be people in the world that would, would do something like that. But if we consider uh, this from a different angle, I think that the frustration and the anger that we might feel o- over something like that, that if we look at it from a different angle, it might actually be a little bit convicting to us. Uh, see, God actually made us to be people who receive His love, who receive the good resources that he pours out into our lives. And then he, has, he made us so that those resources would be channeled out in love towards others. But because of sin, God pours his resources down into our lives, and then we steal them and stockpile them for our own benefit rather than letting them pass through us in order to love others. See, we would get so upset if somebody did this in real life where they you know, t- took something that was designed to go to somebody else and then they, they stole it for themselves. And yet, so many times, that's exactly what we do with God. We take the good things that He pours into our lives and rather than allowing those to pass through us in love for others, we just use them for our own good. We use them for our own benefit. And the tragedy of this is that God, had, God actually made us to reflect Him. God is this infinite ocean of love, and He pours out. He's constantly turned outwards, giving Himself out to people in need. God is not out here trying to uh, vacuum up, trying to suck up all He can get for Himself. No, God is is someone who pours Himself out constantly. God lives outward-facing. And so when you and I neglect that outward-facing life, and instead we turn in and we aim the resources we have, the time we have, the energy we have, when we aim the things that God has given us at ourselves, what we forfeit is the ability to be like God. Now, we all know that living this life turned outward to, towards others does not come naturally to us, right? What comes naturally to us is to be selfish, that, that, that we don't have to try very hard to think about ourselves, to try to leverage all of life situations in our benefit. We don't have to try very hard or think very hard about taking the resources that God gives and just spending them on ourselves and using them for ourselves. That, that comes very natural to us. And so what that means is this morning, as, as John leads us to come to grips with the fact that God has poured his love out into the world, what he's doing is, is John is giving us ammunition to fight against our own deformed hearts. God is giving us ammunition that we might actually turn out in love towards others rather than turning our whole life in towards ourselves. And so this morning, as we look at 1 John chapter 3, we're going to see four profound reasons why we should love others. Here are four deep, profound reasons for why we should love others, why we should live a life turned out rather than living a life turned in. The first uh, reason is that Uh, We should love others because we are loved. We should love others because we are loved. Verses 1 and 2, we'll we'll read those again. John opens up chapter 3 saying, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So when we talk about love, before we ever start talking about our love for others, we first have to talk about God's love for us. God is the infinite ocean of love. God is the one who pours out love into this world. And so before thinking about how we're supposed to love others, we first have to think about how it is that God loves us. Now, what's so interesting is that what John is marveling at is that God the Father would actually call human beings His children. Now, what's, what's odd about that is that we tend to think that being a child of God is just sort of a birthright, that, it, that everyone who's born into this world is just automatically a child of God. But that's actually not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are born to this world as children of wrath. We are born to this world at enmity with God. And so for us to be in God's family means that God adopts us into his family. God graciously comes into our life and he grabs us and he brings us into his family. That being in God's family is actually his grace. It's not something we're owed. It's not something that we earned. It's God doing something compassionate, merciful, gracious for us. And so, Mar- so John marvels at this. He's saying, look, can you, believe, can you believe that rebels and sinners like us would actually be called children of God? This, more than anything else, expresses God's love for us. One of the main things that gets in the way of us loving other people is when we're not filled up with God's love for us. I've seen this play out so many times in my own life where I've gone through seasons where I'm not truly resting in and believing God's love for me and so here's what happens is we go about our life insecure and what we need when we enter into relationship with people, we need for them to love us. We need for them to support us. We need for them to do something on our behalf. And so we're never, never able to turn out and f- with our focus and love them because we don't have the love of God in us. What we need if we're going to love others, what, we're, what we need if we're actually going to turn our lives outwards in, in order to sacrifice and care for other people is we must first be filled With the love that god has for us Uh, one summer i worked at a uh, summer camp and uh, a couple summers there in ridgecrest at at the boys camp there and um, one of the summers i was a lifeguard and you, you learn pretty quick that there's certain things about trying to save people that are more important than just your good motivations right you can have all the best motivations in the world you can jump out to try to save somebody but if you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the right supplies you can quickly find yourself in a really desperate situation. So one of the most important things for a lifeguard is that, that red floaty thing that, that you have, right? You always see a lifeguard with the red floaty thing. And the reason why is because if you go jumping into the water to try to save somebody, all the best intentions, all the best motives, uh, that person who's, who's drowning, they're flailing around. They're going crazy. And if you're not careful, uh, you'll go in and try to help them. They'll whack you over the head and both of you will, will end up drowning. So what a lifeguard does is they go in with a safety net. They go in with something that's keeping them afloat, and then they're able to rescue somebody. And I think this is a pretty good picture of what it looks like for us to love others, right? When we enter in, sometimes we have the best motivations. We jump in, we try to help somebody, we try to get involved in their situation. But if we're not filled up with God's love for us, then we actually get ourselves in a whole world of trouble. We go in sort of needing them to love us in return, and it creates all sort of problems for us. But if we have the love of God filling our hearts, if we have this safety net of God's love for us, then here's the secret. Here's the secret to Christian love. We can love others without needing to be loved in return. We can actually love our enemies because we are filled with a love that comes from outside this world. And I think we see this, obviously, most fundamentally in the life of Jesus. And in this uh, verse 1, we actually uh, get a little... Um, alert to how this worked in the life of Jesus. In verse 1, it says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So let's talk about Jesus for a second. Jesus is the greatest lover this world has ever known. And yet, at the same time, no one was hated more than Jesus. See, while Jesus was going about his life and pouring out his love and then dying on the cross, he wasn't surrounded by an environment of encouragement. right? Jesus didn't have a team of cheerleaders around him who were supporting him and filling him up all the time as he was pouring himself out for other people. How was it that Jesus could go to the cross and while hanging there actually say, Father, forgive them. How was it that Jesus, though hated by the world, could pour himself out in love for the world? The reason why is because he was filled with with the love of God the Father. Jesus was filled with a love that came from outside this world, an unchangeable love, a steadfast love that allowed him to die for the very people who were nailing him to the cross. And so this shows us the power of seeing and knowing God's love for us, that if we're going to love others, we first have to receive the love of God into our own life. And this is why God does encourage us to revel in his love, to marvel at his love That it is a good thing for us to wake up in the morning and sing, He loves us, He loves us, He loves us. Because when we are settled and convinced that we are an adopted child and we have a Father in heaven whose banner over us is love, then we are able to move out and, and live a life that is open outward toward others. A second reason that we should love others is because we've been changed. We've been changed. Uh, Remember where we started this morning, right? Naturally, what we do is we aim in, we take God's resources, we steal them, and rather than allowing them to channel out in love to others, we take those resources and we use them on ourselves. That is us naturally. That is who we are in our sin. And so what that means is for God to save us, it doesn't just mean getting a new identity. It doesn't just mean God forgiving us. For God to save us also means that God must transform us. He must heal us. He must fix in us what is broken. And so what that means, the fallout of that, what we're going to see here in 1 John chapter 3, is there's actually a pretty stark contrast between someone who's been saved and someone who's not been saved. There's a pretty clear distinction between someone who is a Christian and someone who is not a Christian. And John paints this contrast for us. Uh, And there's kind of four major things, and we're going to kind of take them um, in logical order. So here's four major contrasts between the person who's saved and the person who's not, between the person who is a Christian and the person who is not a Christian. The first contrast is that everyone is either a a child of the devil or a child of God. Uh, Look at verse 8. Verse 8 begins, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But then then in verse 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he is born of God. So as verse 10 succinctly puts it, we are either children of God or we are children of the devil. Then the next logical step is that those who are children of the devil do not have a relationship with God. But then those who are children of God do have a relationship with Him. Verse 6 clearly portrays this for us. John writes, no one who abides in Him. In other words, no one who has a relationship with God keeps on sinning. And conversely, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. So if you are a child of God, then you have a relationship with God. You abide in God. You communicate with God. But if you are a child of the devil, you don't know God. You've never even seen God. You can't have a relationship with God. And then the third step flows from this, that if, if I'm a child of the devil and I don't know God, then therefore my, my life, the way I operate, my practice in life will be a practice of sinning. But if I'm a child of God and I do have a relationship with God, I abide with him and I commune with him, then the practice of my life, the overall sort of tra- trajectory and shape of my life is that I will practice righteousness. Verse 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, maybe, you're, maybe at this point, we're, in a minute, we're going to get to the, uh, the fourth step in, in the conclusion. But maybe for a second, you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, like, you know, what does this look like in real life? You know, I mean, um, you know, here we are and we all kind of, you know, look similar. It's not like uh, we exactly know who is and who is not, you know, a child, of the, the, a child of the devil versus a child of God. You know, how does this all fall out in, in, in everyday life? Well, um, Allie and I have been watching this, um, this show uh, called Is It Cake? And uh, the way Is It Cake works is there's an item, you know, maybe a baseball bat or like a helmet or like I think on one episode it was like a toilet. And uh, what what the job of the bakers to do is they're supposed to look at that item and they're supposed to try their best to mimic it as a cake. So there's two things side by side. There's a baseball bat here and there's a baseball bat here. But one of them is an actual baseball bat and the other one is cake. And they do this with a a bunch of different items. And so, you know, the suspense builds up and the the guy who, who the host of the show, he takes his knife out. So how are we going to know? How are we going to know which one is the item and which one is the cake? And so he takes his knife out. And if he goes to cut into the item and you hear it, you know, a ding, 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 a click, 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 you know that it's a baseball bat. But when he takes the knife and and he goes down and he cuts into it and it busts open and it's this beautiful, luscious, you know, delicious looking thing, you know, it's cake. And so here's the, here's the hard thing about life, right? We don't walk around with signs on our head that say children of the devil or children of God. That's not how it works. Right? There are children of God and children of the devil who drive the same cars and send their kids to the same schools and work at the same places and brush their teeth with the same toothpaste. How do we know? Well, John is trying to help us understand that on the surface, out on the periphery of life, the the child of God and the child of the devil, their life might look very similar. But it's when we cut down a little deeper, it's when we open up what's inside, it's when we look beneath the surface and we actually see the, the habits, the practices, the way we speak, the way we talk to one another the way we either worship God or don't worship God, it is when we get beneath the surface that we find that all human beings who have ever lived, all human beings who are alive now, and all human beings who will ever live will find themselves in one of these two categories, either a child of God or a child of the devil. And that leads to the fourth contrast. This culminates in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Who, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So those who are of the devil do not love others. But those who are the children of God, they do love others. Now, we have to look at this picture as a whole, and, and we kind of have to ask ourselves a question. What's the point? Right? Why does John draw this contrast out? You know, I think some people look at this and they think, well, the reason that this contrast exists is because I'm supposed to evaluate myself. I'm supposed to take this passage and I'm supposed to try to kind of evaluate my own life and kind of figure out which camp I, I fall in. And there might be some value to that. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But here, here's where we would really make a mistake with a passage like this. Is we, we take this list and we, we see our contrast and then we walk around in our life and we see our family and our friends and we're trying to categorize everybody. All right, who's a child of the devil? Who's a child of God? And we play this game where we try to you know, put people in different categories and this kind of thing. But I don't think that's what John wants us to do at all with this passage. I don't think that's the point of drawing out the contrast in 1 John 3. So what is the point? Well, by drawing out this contrast, what John is trying to do, what he's trying to press upon our hearts, John is trying to stir us up with gratitude to see what Jesus has done for us. See, look at verses 4 and 5. says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin see this gets right at the heart of christmas why did jesus come Why did Jesus, the eternal Son of God, take our humanity upon Himself? Why did He leave that world of love in heaven and come down into our chaos, into our madness, into our sin? Why did He come? Well, yes, yes, Jesus came to forgive us. Yes, Jesus came to take the penalty of our sin. But what John wants us to revel in, what he wants us to marvel in, is that Jesus also came to heal us. Jesus came so that though we were born, all of us, children of the devil, no relationship with God, practicing sin, not loving other people, Jesus came to transfer us into his kingdom of love, where we are now children of the Father. We know his love for us. We practice righteousness, and we do love one another. I want you to imagine that you have an issue uh, with your HVAC. You know, we've all, probably if you've lived more than 15, 20 years, you've had a issue with your HVAC. You know, there's two, there's two major problems that happens when when that goes down. You know, first of all, the first obvious problem when you have an issue with your HVAC is that your house is either really hot or really cold, which is the problem. That's what you don't want. Uh, But there's a secondary problem that comes with that a lot of times. You know, your your HVAC breaks, it's either really hot or really cold in, in your house. And so your system starts to work really, really hard and it goes on overdrive. And next thing you know, you get that bill in the mail and your, your charge has skyrocketed. All of a sudden you owe a whole lot because your system broke down. And uh, now I want you to imagine that you got on the phone with somebody who was a nice, compassionate person. Like, you know, you just landed the right person on the phone and they took pity on you. And you explained your situation and they actually pardoned your debt. They canceled your high charges. I don't know about you guys, but if that went down in our house, we would be throwing a party. That would be a great day. If some compassionate person Pardoned our crazy high debt. But here's the deal. There would still be a major problem. You know, having the debt canceled, having that charge forgiven, that's really important, but there's still a problem. It's still really hot or really cold in your house. The HVAC is still broken. And I think so many times when we think about Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, we stop short of fully rejoicing in what Jesus came to do. Yes, Jesus came into this world to pardon us for our sin. Yes, Jesus came into this world to forgive us for our guilt, to take the penalty we deserve for our sin. Praise God. We could have never paid back what we owed for our sin. Thank the Lord. But that's not all Jesus came to do. Jesus also came to heal us. Jesus came to transfer us from one side of the contrast where we were enslaved to sinning. We couldn't ever do anything but sin. And then he sets our hearts free. He rewires us. He transforms us so that we actually can begin to live as God intended. See, I think what we have to get our, our minds around is just how bad our condition really is. You know, I think sometimes when we think about what's wrong with ourselves, what we think about what, what's wrong with humanity, he, here's kind of the story we tell ourselves, right? The story we tell ourselves is like, hey, look, we're all pretty good, but we all know we've made a few mistakes in life. So thank God for Jesus. You know, Jesus comes and he kind of squashes over those few bad things that we've done in our life. But that's not actually the reality of the story. Guys, our condition is that we are broken, we are deformed, we are wicked. And so salvation doesn't just mean pardon, although that is wonderful. It also means healing. It also means transformation. And this is what John means in verse 8 when he writes, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came into this world not just to take away the penalty of our sins. He came into this world to take away our enslavement to Satan. He came into this world to take away our enslavement to the practice of sinning. And so as you and I walk in the freedom that Jesus has given us, we see Jesus destroy the works of the devil. So, maybe what we need to do this Christmas season is just take a minute and reflect, think back. What was life like for us when we were on that side of the contrast? When we were enslaved to sin? When our hearts were deformed? When we only ever turned in and thought about ourselves? How ugly, how awful, how wretched. But then also to think about our lives since Jesus has rescued us, how he's transformed us, how we're not there yet, we're not perfect, we're not in heaven where we will be one day, but we do have the freedom of the children of God. We do have hearts that have been healed. You know, I think it's really important to kind of keep that before and after picture in our minds. You know, so many times when we think about the before and after picture, we think about it in terms of sharing it with other people, and that's good. But sometimes we need to just go back to the before and after picture and remember, Jesus Christ came into this world to take away my sinning, to set me free from my enslavement, and my life isn't the same. Thank the Lord that I am not who I used to be anymore. When our hearts are filled with this gratitude over what Jesus has done for us, it drives us out. It drives us out to want to show the same kind of love that Jesus has shown towards us to others. And that leads us to the third reason why we love others. The third reason this morning is because we have an example. We have an example. Uh, What's going to happen in verses 11 through 18 is, is John gives us these two examples. He sets two examples before us. There are two people who sit neatly on either side of the contrast. And the one example he's going to set up and say, here's what not to do. Here's who not to emulate. Here's who not to be like. And then he's going to set up another example. He's going to say, here's what we ought to do. Here's how we ought to be. Here's what we ought to try and and live according to. So the first contrast comes in the person of the, the biblical man, Cain. Verses 11 and 12 say, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain and Abel are some of the first siblings that we see in the Bible back in Genesis. And Cain got jealous of his brother Abel. And because Cain's heart was turned in on himself, he murdered his own brother. You know, I think we have this myth, like, there's this myth that we have that like people get worse and worse and worse and worse over the course of history. But guys, we're talking about some of the very first human beings who lived after the fall, the, some of the very first human beings who lived after we fell into sin. And here are two brothers, some of the very first siblings in the whole Bible, and one whose heart is turned in on himself leads him to murder his own brother. This is the sadness of our condition. This is the wickedness of the human heart. But then in verse 16, John points us to Jesus. And he says, this is is who we should be like. Don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. He writes, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So you can clearly see that John is still examining the contrast. He's saying, "Here's, here's the contrast on one side, the children of the devil. And here's the contrast on the other side, the children of God. And here are two great examples of those two sides. You got Cain on one side and you got Jesus on the other. Cain takes life. Jesus gives life. Cain is a murderer. Jesus is a healer. Cain is insecure and envious and jealous, and so he turns in on himself and he murders his brother. Jesus is full of the love of the Father, and so he is able to pour himself out for people who hated him. What we have to realize is that the reason John puts these two examples in front of our eyes is that so much of our life is driven by the examples that we follow. So much of what drives our, I mean, just look around, look at what we're wearing, look at these clothes. I mean, you didn't come up with the clothes you're wearing. This wasn't your idea to wear, you know, jeans and whatever. I mean, no, you, you, you learn this from someone else, right? All day long, we, we, we have maybe family members that we think are good examples. We have people in the community. We have celebrities, we have sports athletes. We have social media all day in front of our faces trying to train us in how to live. And, and here's what, what John wants us to be so careful about. He wants us to use discernment to to really ask ourselves, are the examples we're following teaching us to be like Cain, who's turned in on himself, who's all about himself, who's pointing and aiming all of the resources God has given him at himself? Or are the examples that we're putting before our eyes and trying to emulate our life after more like Jesus, whose heart is open, whose life is open, who's turned outward toward others, who's constantly pouring himself out for others, even at cost to his own self? what are the examples that we're following? Can we use discernment to see, are, are we following what's more like Cain, or are we following what's more like Jesus? Uh, when I was a little kid, I uh, loved Chipper Jones and the Braves, kind of grew up through the 90s, and um, you know, it was, it was fun to be a fan on a team that, that won a lot of games, and um, but over time, you know, you get a little older, and all of a sudden, you, you look a little closer on on the TV. You know, back then it was a little fuzzier, but you know, you still you kind of look through and you kind of see on the TV, and, and you, you notice that these guys have these big bulges in their lips. You know, and, and you think, man, these guys sure do hit the ball a long way. I mean, these guys smash this thing. Maybe it's that, maybe that's the secret sauce, like whatever that thing is in their lip right there. You know, maybe that's the maybe that's the the juice. You know, that, that lets them knock it out of the park. So you know, you show up at your little six-year-old ball practice, and you and your buddies, you take your bubble gum and you chew it up and you shove it down in your lip there, and you think, man, this this is gonna work and. And then it doesn't. And so then a couple years later, somebody actually shows up at practice with the real thing. And uh, you saw saw the guys do it. You saw the big leaders. It was Chipper Jones. You saw them do it. And so you throw one in. And you're not ready for what happens. (laughs) You had the loopiest baseball practice of your life. And then thankfully... You have a mom who's a dental hygienist (laughs) who can see right through your crazy and snuffs it out, praise God, and doesn't let you follow your examples into a bad example. You know, so many times in our lives, we admire people, we look up to people. Sometimes there's people in our own family, people that we've known, friends, and yet the example they're setting for us is, a, is grooming us, training us to live in towards ourselves, training us to be turned in and aim the resources that we have towards ourselves. But then Christmas slams every year after year after year after year. And right in front of our faces, we have a different example. We have Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth And this example is not just some far-off celebrity, some person that we'll never get to talk to, someone that we'll never know, some far-off picture on our computer or our phone that we'll never actually talk to. No, this example is someone who had pity on us, someone who had compassion on us, someone who took our sins upon himself. Someone who got involved in our messy messy situation. Someone who showed us and trained us how to love love others by pouring his grace into our life, his forgiveness into our life, his patience into our life. And he trains us and shows us how to love others by how he has loved us. This is the power of Christmas. It yanks us out of the false reality and it puts the picture of the good life back in front of our faces again. The real good life. Jesus Christ laying down His life for us in love. So how does this work? Well, right after telling us that we ought to lay down our lives for others, John quickly shows us a picture of what this might look like in everyday life. Uh, Let's read verses 17 and 18. John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... Yet closes his heart against him. That's the picture, guys. Is it a closed heart? Is it an open heart? Am I living out toward others or am I living in towards myself? So, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, I think what's so helpful is what John says at the beginning of verse 17. Right? I'm, I don't know, you're probably like me, and you want to have handles for this. You want to understand like, what, what could this actually look like in my life? Like, How is this supposed to play out for me? Well, I love what John says. He says, if anyone has the world's goods. And so you and I might find ourselves in different situations. You and I might find ourselves in different seasons of life and certain different stations in life. And the goods that we possess, the resources that we've been given are all different. But the heart disposition can be the same. God is not calling any of us to be Jesus. There there does not need to be another Messiah in this world. None of us in this room are called to save the world. But what we can do is we can have the same heart disposition as Jesus so that whatever it is that God pours into our life, we allow it to channel out through us towards others in love. So if what I have is money, if what I have is resources, if what I have is time, if what I have is good listening ears, if what I have is hands and feet or an encouraging mouth, whatever it is, whatever resources God has given me, the heart disposition of the child of God is to crack open and allow those resources to funnel through us out in love for others. So each of us, for each of us, the goal of what this looks like in our life might look a lot different. But it's just like the cake. You cut it open, you begin to look on the inside, and what you find is a heart disposition A heart disposition that's open, that's willing, that says yes, that's excited to let let the love of God flow through us to others. So the best example is Jesus Christ. But that leads to the final reason uh, from 1 John 3 why we should love others, and it's because we reassure our own hearts. We reassure our own hearts. We'll start with just verses 18 and 19, because there's a, a hinge. John writes, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So here, John is, again, he's going back to the contrast. The children of the devil, the children of God. And he's reminding us, inevitably, inevitably, if we are a child of God, if we are in that category of the children of God, we will love others. It will flow. It will happen. This is how we know if we love. Verse 24 says, whoever keeps his commandments, abides in God and God in him. And by this we know, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So here's what happens when when someone becomes a Christian, God gives them the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, there are certain evidences. There are certain imprints that the spirit makes. When the spirit of God comes to dwell in us, he puts a certain stamp on our life that marks us out from the counterfeit uh, someone in our family wanted to have some fun with Benjamin and um, our son, and so they somehow got their hands on some like fake money. But I mean, this fake money looks like real money. I feel like this is probably illegal, but um, it happened. Okay, and uh, you know, you look at it from like a, a few feet away, and I mean, this thing looks like a legit hundred dollar bill. Like this thing looks for real. Now, obviously, you pick it up and you you know you put your hands on it, and you know you know it's fake because of the consistency and stuff like this. But um, a few weeks ago, I'm uh, pulling out of my my driveway, and I, you know, I kind of look back like you do, and you you pull out, and I see this folded up $100 bill in my back seat, you know, I I get excited, so I put put the car in park, I literally get out of my car, walk around, and I go, and I open this thing, and it's one of Benjamin's counterfeits, and I'm thinking, oh man, I thought this was a $100 day, you know, and, uh, what is it about that $100 bill? the reason I know when I, it's immediately when I pick it up, I, you know, it's the way it feels, it's the way it looks. They, you know, A couple years ago, they started putting that little blue ribbon stripe through it. I mean, there's things stamped on it. There's a specific notice that shows us what's real, what's not, what's counterfeit, and what is the authentic thing. And here John is trying to say, when the Spirit comes into our life, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, there's a stamp he brings. There's a picture, there's an image, there's a, a way of knowing that he's there. And I think verse 23 gives a pretty succinct picture of what this looks like. Here's these two pieces of evidence, two proofs that the Holy Spirit is in us. Verse 23, and and this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. This is the picture. When the Spirit comes, when God's Spirit comes into our life, we believe in Jesus. He gives us faith to trust That Jesus is enough, that He is sufficient, that His life, death, and resurrection bring salvation, and when the Spirit comes, we love one another. These two evidences, these two stamps, we trust in the name of Jesus, and we love one another. But here's the deal, I think, something we need to be really clear about when it comes to this assurance conversation. What John is talking about is not God's heart being assured of us. John is talking about our hearts being assured. See, here's what gets tricky when we talk about assurance. If we're not careful, we might think that somehow we do some things and then God becomes more likely to accept us or more likely to welcome us, that that we pick up some new habits or we try some new things and then God loves us more or he is more apt to open up his arms and throw them around us. But that's not what John is talking about here. John knows that our only standing before God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That the only way we have welcome with God is because Jesus Christ came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and then rose from the dead. That is the only reason anyone goes to heaven or knows God, period. But then there's another layer of assurance. And usually when people are struggling with assurance, this is the layer. They're not concerned about what Jesus has done. It's not about whether he's enough. It's not about whether his righteousness can cover them. It's, how do I know I'm in Jesus? How do I know that I've actually trusted him? How do I know that I've actually been born again? How do I know that I'm actually a Christian? And the temptation in those moments, I think, for most of us, is to turn inward. But look at what John does. In those moments when our hearts need reassurance, in those moments when our hearts condemn us. Let's read verse 23 again. And by the way, this is our memory verse as a church for the month. 1 John three twenty-three, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another Just as he has commanded us. Where does John point us when our hearts need assurance? He points us outward. First and foremost, up towards Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to your perfect righteousness in the name of Jesus. And he points us out to love others. This is how we reassure our hearts. Not to look in. Not to get overly self-examining. If we want assurance, we look up to Jesus and we turn out to others. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to encourage people who are struggling with assurance. Um, That might sound like a a funny thing for me to say, uh, that that I would enjoy that, that I would actually be like an enjoyable thing for me to do. But here's what I've learned, you know, just a short time of um, engaging with a lot of people over the years is um, usually, most likely, when someone is wrestling with assurance... When someone is honestly trying to figure out if they're a Christian or not, it it normally means that they are. Because the only reason we care, the only reason we want to evaluate our life, the only reason that we're interested in this is because we actually want to live a righteous life. We want to love God. We want to love others. And, And if we're wrestling with those things, if we're genuinely searching our own heart to see if we're genuinely Christian, it probably means that we are. And so what I love to do is I love to talk with people who are wrestling with assurance and I love first and foremost to point them back to Jesus again. To remind them again that what God is looking at is not their good works or their bad works. What God is looking at is not whether they've done enough or haven't done enough recently. What God is looking at is the perfection of Jesus. And then I love to talk about their life. I love to step back and and say, look, let's, let's do, let's talk about the before and after picture. Let's examine who you were before and who you are now. And as we snap back out to the thousand foot view, we begin to explore how it is that they have loved God, how it is that they have loved others, how it is that they have served His church, how it is that they have opened up their heart in love. This is how God assures our hearts. He fixes our eyes on Jesus again and then He sends us out to love one another. Now today, as we've been talking through these things, you may have uh, been listening and you, you like see the contrast and you, you're thinking about your own life and, and you just genuinely know like you don't trust Jesus. You haven't put your faith in him, you, you haven't rested upon him for your life, your salvation. You are still in that side of the contrast where your life is a pattern of sin, your life is stuck. This morning, you are being invited. You are being invited to Jesus Christ, who is not just someone who forgives, although he does. This Savior is one who heals, one who gives us a new birth, one who changes our heart from the inside out. And if you're here this morning and you're desperate for something new, you're desperate for freedom, cry out to Jesus, set your face towards Jesus, ask Jesus to save you, because he is a great healer. And then for the rest of us uh, this morning who know we have, we have put our faith in Jesus. We have trusted him. We have been born again. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon a long time ago entitled, Heaven is a World of Love. Heaven is a World of Love. And what he does in this sermon is he begins to kind of just reflect on the fact that so many of the things that we have in life are going to pass away. And what Jonathan Edwards is not just talking, he's not just talking about possessions. You know, I think so many times when we think about, you know, what you can't take with you is, uh, you know, your possessions, but, but he gets, begins to explore even deeper things. You know, he says, if heaven is a world of love, then one of the things we're not going to bring with us is jealousy. And one of the things we're not going to bring with us is gossip. One of the things that's never going to happen in heaven is we're never going to argue anymore. We're never going to hate one another. We're never going to hurt one another. There are these things that are going to pass away. But then what's surprising is, is he begins to think about other good things that are also going to pass away. He talks about how hope will pass away, and faith will pass away, and patience will pass away. These good things are going to pass away as well. But then there's one thing there's one thing that will not pass away, one thing that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever, and that is love. Heaven is this world of love where. We're in an environment of love. God is pouring out his love into us and then heaven is that final place where we are completely transformed. We are finally healed all the way and we won't be able to do anything else but love forever. And so if that is our future, let's go after it now. Let's open up our lives, open up our hearts and love now because that is our future. Back up in verses 2 and 3, John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be as loving as Jesus, as sinless as Jesus. So, verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. This is Christmas, guys. Jesus opened himself up to us, came down and rescued us. So, so, let's open up our hearts and pour out love to one another. Let's pray. God, we praise you. You are such a loving God. We don't even know, Lord, the depths of your love. We don't even know what must be in your heart to come after rebels like us, to come after sinners like us, and to adopt us back into your family at the cost of your own son. What kind of love is that? And so, God, we ask that you would flood us with your redeeming love, flood us with the reality of who Jesus is to us, what Jesus has done for us, that we might long to be like him, that we might see the good life, that we might see a successful life, as a life that is full of love. God, we pray for this church, for Palmetto Shores, that if heaven is a world of love, God, we so long for this church to be a place of love. We long for your loving future reality to invade us now. Help us to be people who serve one another, who are gracious with one another, who are patient with one another, who are kind towards one another, because we're just so excited about where you're taking us in the future. Lord, this is hard. We have hearts that are corrupt. Would you heal us? Would you transform us? We want to reflect you. It's in Jesus' name.